Welcome to Culture Cryptids, the horror podcast where we ask the question, should I have sex with that monster? I feel like my mic is just like, why is my mic so much lower than yours? It just reminds me of how short I am and how tall you are. I mean, is it at a level for you to use? Yes, but it's just just comparing it to I'm comparing it to how like yours is almost a foot taller than mine on this this desk. Mine is maxed out. Mine is the highest that it will go. I can't get mine any lower. Like I want (laughs) you to know that mine just is not going any lower at all. And I still feel echoey on this mic because I feel like it's still too high for me. And if I touch it, I get yelled at. So I'm, I'm trying not, gonna yell not to at touch you. it. It just, it makes noises. And yeah. I know you don't like noises. I know I don't like noises, but um, I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. So how are things going with you? <laughs> <laughs> now that I've talked about my microphone. Um, it, it's going, it's going good. It's mm-hmm. been, um, you know, I, I don't know. In April? It's, it's been in it's, April. It's been in April. Yeah. 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 Have you, um, so I know the answer to this one, but how much did you love binging the entire season of Our Flag Means Death? I loved the gay pirate show. I loved it. And like, I, I was like two episodes in and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And everybody is like, make it to episode it's, three. It's for you. It's for yeah. you. And then from like three onward, I was like, I just need everyone to kiss. I just need everyone to kiss. The, oh, the show's so good. I really love that show. Cause I started watching it cause we, we found out that, um, Oh, it's like, Waititi's in it. And yeah. like, he, but he's not his show. And I was like, Oh, I'll watch anything that he's in, of mm-hmm. course. And so I was like, okay, when do we get to Taika Waititi? And then I was like watching it and I was like, this is actually kind of fun. And, Reese Darby is just delightful. He's so delightful. And there's so much parallel. And like one of my favorite quotes of all time is like, you know, werewolf, like we're werewolves, not swearwolves. Yeah. And he brings that same, like almost like chaotic dad energy into our flag means death in that way with his, like, w- what do we do as a crew? Like, you know, we, we talk it through <laughs> as a crew and I just, I love it so much. It's, it's such a delightful show. What have you been watching? So I have been watching some, a lot of anime because that's what I've been doing with my life mm-hmm. recently is, is watching anime. I'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah. I, we started um, Tokyo Ghoul, which is like a big, it's, it's a very popular mm-hmm. horror anime. And I was like, it's been on my list for a while. So we watched like the first, there's like two series. So I watched the first series and I got to the end of it and this thing happens at the end and I'm like, I need to take a break. I need to take a break from this, this anime about people eating other people. And like, I just, I need a little break from it. And so I did finally get to see the newest Scream movie. I can't believe you just now saw it. I miss you a bad horror fan. I know. I missed it when I went to theaters, Mm -hmm. but I went to Horror Hound Weekend in March and the entire, like the, the cast of the first one was there. Like they had Nev, they had Matthew Lillard. Um, they had Skeet Ulrich, which was really cool. So I was like, someone is going to spoil this for me. And we ended up watching it on Friday night in our hotel room. We were like, we could go party, but also we could go back and have a pajama party. So like all of our like crew went back and had a pajama party and watched oh, the new Scream movie. That's so fun. And yeah. It was great. I loved it. Um, I really enjoyed it a yeah. lot. Even though like it was... <sighs> it was telegraphed in a fun way that I thought really worked. Like I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Okay. There were some scenes that I was like, well, that makes me very unhappy, but I understand why they did it. So I, yeah, I would definitely 
I will see what they do in Scream 7 now, because now we're getting a Scream 7. I am, and I love the term, because, I mean, obviously, New Nightmare is kind of what created somewhat of, like, meta, like, you know, yeah. was like kind of the first big meta horror, which kind of opened the door for, for Scream. For Scream, mm-hmm. And I, I think with this one it kind of amped it up even more like the term requel. I was like, that is a great term. Like, yeah, it, it really does a good job in describing like kind of opens the doorway to like retcon some things mm-hmm. and also change some things and like just reshape things around. And I, cause I think that's what you're seeing with the new Halloween movies, which I've, I've not seen the newest one of that yet either. I've not seen the last two. I've yeah. seen, I saw the one before that, which was really good, but I haven't, is it Halloween kills? Halloween yes. kills is the newest mm-hmm. one. I haven't seen Halloween kills yet. Because I'm kind of like, part of me is just like, why don't you just wait until the last one comes out in the trilogy and just watch them all together and binge the first two again and then watch the third Mm -hmm. one. Because I've heard that the second one feels like a bridge film in between the first one and the third one so that you don't get a satisfying ending. That's what I've heard. So I don't know for sure if that's true. So take that with a grain of salt. But I'll I'll probably end up watching it. I might save it for October. I might just watch it because now it's on HBO so I can watch it whenever. Yeah. Well, we are now five minutes in. Okay, sorry. it's probably a good time for us to introduce ourselves. <laughs> like that's we've hit we've hit we've hit our we allotment, hit our allotment so. for random. Yeah. Well, I'm JD, and I would gladly trade the horrors of adulthood for my childhood fears. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? And I am the other Culture Cryptids co-host, Corey, and um, definitely my. I, I have to say my childhood fears probably awaken something in me. Very unfortunate. <laughs> At least once or twice. Yeah. Hashtag monster fucker. Yeah. So if you couldn't guess <laughs> this, this week on the show, we are going to kind of talk about childhood trauma and how, <laughs> this is what it sounds like, right? Not like our personal childhood trauma, but childhood trauma as a whole and how the fears of our childhoods kind of both stem from universal things and also kind of unique to us a little bit. Yeah. I was trying to think of a way to like soften it a little bit to be like, we're talking about childhood trauma. And kind like, of are. We're going to talk about kids spookies. Kids spookies. <laughs> kids spookies. That's also fair. We can also go with that. I think just before we get started, one thing we would want to establish is that we have both talked before about how we are latchkey kids. We yes. were latchkey kids. Yes. In the 80s slash 90s. So please be easy on our parents. Don't (laughs) blame our parents for any of the stuff that we talk about in this episode. Yeah, it wasn't their fault that we were pretty bad at keeping ourselves alive. I mean, we were were good enough that we're still here. (laughs) But man, were there some issues. Questionable decisions, you know, but that's what makes us who we are. It's true. I I enjoy telling people about some of the questionable decisions I made growing up and just watching the look on their face be like, how are you still alive? Like it's, there's this like light bulb that goes off sometimes. My, the problem with me was I had a lot of what I like to call daytime bravery. Mm-hmm. I was very sure of myself about everything in the daytime, but the minute anything got spooky or dark, like it all went away. So there were lots of times where I'm like, Oh no, I've gotten myself into a situation. This is now terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah, as soon as it got a little like rough and you were like, oh, the sun's going down, it's time to go home where it's quote unquote safe or, mm-hmm. or safer, I should say. So yeah, do you want to kick us off then? With that? Yeah, I thought, yeah, this is a good opportunity. You know, we've talked about ourselves before. Mm-hmm. It's a good opportunity to talk, dive a little bit more into the things we thought were spooky as a kid that um, made us who we are. And I think you've got a good list of just you ask the internet yes yeah i um i talked to the internet and kind of got some ideas <laughs> and it of said what, back beep boop beep boop <laughs> sorry <laughs> yes. 
and um, got a list of like other things that scared other people growing up. And a lot of these things are media based. So, and again, remember the time that we grew up in, but I have some like stuff too from like a lot of younger millennials and like some, I'm really curious to know what Gen Z would say, like kind of what their childhood stuff would have been as well. Cause I'm sure it's quite different from ours. Yes. But I couldn't find a lot of, I couldn't find a lot of them willing to like admit that things scared them, which you know what, Gen Z, you do you. Okay. Like good on you. Well, I mean, I would venture to say that a lot of the changes in technology altered what was considered scary and kind of what you were exposed to that would make you fearful. Yeah. Because I, like the first one I'm going to get into is a very much a product of the time period. Like it's antiquated at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, what I like to call the gauntlet of the neighborhood video store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you grew up anytime after 2000, there was no video store. Yeah. So no blockbuster, nothing mm-hmm. like that. Like, so being a child in the era that we were like, my weekend with my parents usually consisted of at least going to the video store at least once. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about before, my parents were very young and they loved horror movies. So that led to me being exposed to a lot of horror movies much, much too young. Mm-hmm. So what? how does that come through the video store? Well, what I would always do is, again, I had a lot of daytime bravery. So we would get to the video store and... I would psych myself up mm-hmm. to like make a triumphant walk down the horror aisle, but I always chickened out. But then when I, as I got a little bit older, I would make it through the aisle. And, but then the bad thing that happened was like, Oh no, I've seen the covers of some of these movies with pictures and it has imprinted things in my brain. And I will now have nightmares about those things. Like movies oh, that no. to this point I still haven't seen. Okay. Like ghoulies. <laughs> Bless your soul. I have seen all of the Ghoulies films at least twice. Probably at far too young of an age to have seen them. Uh, yeah, those covers, the the Ghoulies 2, I think, is the one of the Ghoulie in the toilet. That specifically, that, yeah. That's the one that probably did it. Yeah, to, for those who are not aware of this film, the cover of the movie features these like kind of ambitious demon-like creatures coming out of a toilet. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, oh no, I'm going to be sitting on the toilet and something is going to come up and grab me. I still don't know what that movie is even yeah. about. It's not about toilets. I can <laughs> I can tell you significantly it's not about toilets. Uh, another one was Chud yeah. or Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. I've also seen that one. Yes, yes. I feel like that's one that I should watch now, kind of given how it explores the concept of like the forgotten other. I yeah. Feel like I, you know, as an adult, I would probably appreciate it. It's not, it's not a great exploration of that, but it is worth watching in that respect. Cause it feels like that movie doesn't get to like the creepy horror part until like at least the very, like the, the last bit, like that's when you kind of get into the actual like horror, horror themes in it. But it does explore like this idea of like the other and underneath uh, beings. Um, so yeah, it, it's worth watching for that kind of cult classicness. Also it's called Chud. Like who doesn't want to watch that? Yeah. And I think even like in that, in the opening scene of us, whenever we see all the cassettes mm-hmm. around the television, I think that that's one there yeah. because I, I, I feel like Jordan Peele has said that it was definitely it, an influence on the movie. It makes sense for yeah. it to have been an influence yeah. on it. Do you remember, and I, I, this is a movie that I never saw, but I always saw the cover of, there was a movie with like a demon poodle on it. Do you remember this cover? No. And I think the movie was called The Boneyard. This is my memory from being a small child and walking through. And I'm going to, I'm going to Google it now. Demon poodle. Yeah. It was like. The Boneyard. I think it was called The Boneyard 
Yes, it was actually called that. So I've never seen this movie, but I'm about to show you the cover of it so that you understand what I walked through like every single time. <gasps> oh, no. It's a demon poodle. Oh, oh no. It looks kind of almost like a demon Santa Claus with the way that the, the poodle is. Yeah, it is a little like it's a, it's a, it looks like a demon poodle. I think it's a demon poodle. But it has Phyllis Diller and Norman Fell in it. Are the, yeah. Whoa, okay, I need to find so that. So we should try to watch yes. this at some point. Yeah, I had the opposite reaction of you of like walking through the video store, especially the horror films, because mm-hmm. they were, for me, they were the forbidden fruit. Like you could look at them and be like, I really want to see all of these all the time and be like, what, what will I be allowed to walk out of here with? So I had like the opposite approach to that sort of thing when I was a small child. Yeah. But you didn't like, you you weren't allowed to watch that type of thing as a kid. Oh no. No. Okay. Yes. I was absolutely allowed to watch that (laughs) sort of thing as a kid. Um, my, I tell this story and it makes my mom so mad. So I'm going to tell it again. Um, I don't know if I've told it on this podcast or not. My mom was sort of like, you can watch a lot of things as long as you don't watch sex. That was the rule. I was allowed to watch VH1 and not allowed to watch MTV because there was um, too much sex on MTV. Well, yeah, MTV showed... The Human Nature video by Madonna and VH1 definitely yeah, did not. Yeah, um, just to kind of give you an idea of it. Um, but I That's was, a real life example of me sneaking to watch MTV. Yeah. But I was allowed to watch Soul Train. I want to mm. point out that Soul Train was fine. MTV was not fine. So I'd have to sneak and go to a friend's house to watch MTV. Mm-hmm. And, like, and we're talking like middle school. This was when it was. But when I was six, my mom was like, we were up late. And I remember like kind of laying on the couch watching a movie and mom was like, I was like, you need to go to bed. And I was like, but I really want to see this. And she's like, you can't watch this. They're too young. And I was like, but mom, you're watching it, which somehow worked. (laughs) And the movie was the 1981 dubiously named classic heavy metal. I when watched I was, that late at night yeah, when my, when my when parents I was, were asleep. I watched cable. it mm-hmm. with my mom, not on cable. This was the unedited version um, at six. And I was allowed to watch every sequence unless they were having actively having sex. Yeah. And then I had to close my eyes. So at six, you don't know. Like, you don't know what you're closing your eyes for, but you're not allowed to do it. But that movie kind of both, again, awakened something in me and also terrified me because there's a sequence in it it's like the Harry Canyon sequence, which is the, it's based off a short story. That's the first like cyberpunk short story ever. And it's, it has the cabbie that ends up with the archeologist's daughter trying yeah. to get the, the relic. And he has this thing in the back of his cab. That's basically a disintegrator where he pushes a button and people melt. Mm-hmm. I could not handle that first. That was the thing that got me when that's I was like what six. Got you? That's what got not me. Not the, the, zombie world war two thing the zombie world war two thing was like oh wow (laughs) because (laughs) i had a very early like obsession with the idea of zombies or ghouls whatever like you want to call them because like what we call zombies are typically really actually ghouls if you want to look at it because even even ramiro is like i never called them zombies man i made them ghouls (laughs) but zombie has stuck in our like nomenclature but yeah, I was like, oh my God, these like, they, but it also gave me like a real intense, like fear of getting trapped somewhere with something that you couldn't like kill or for some reason or fight. Like, so I, I have claustrophobia and like, that's kind of probably where that came from is being trapped. Cause it, cause the, the premise of this, 
uh, short because heavy metal is a group of animated shorts. And this one is that this through magical mystical means, because that's the premise of the the movie, a group of soldiers in it's world war two, right? Yeah. yeah. World war two are in um, a bomber and they die in a, most, a lot of them die in a fight, but they are, their corpses are reanimated. So it's the pilot against trying to escape all of his zombie crewmates, which is a wild premise, but really great. And I think that started my whole, like, what is this? I want more of this thing. So yeah, so I, I had the opposite kind of. I find it very interesting that the disintegrator thing is the thing that was too much for you Yeah, because you love body horror now. As I do. Adult. I do love body horror. But I, but I kind think of building off of that though, because my first, what is my favorite horror movie? Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Which one? Uh, Dream Warriors. Yes, the third okay. one. That is also my earliest memory of a horror movie that I saw, mm-hmm. and it terrified me. But now, as an adult, it's my favorite thing. So just kind of like I'm like, oh, it's weird that something that was body horror terrified you as a kid, and now like you no. fucking love body now horror. I, I, I really love body horror, and. And I think that's the thing why too, because like a lot of my favorite films growing up were not traditional children's films Right. because gremlins, I was friends. My imaginary friend was Stripe the gremlin from the gremlins film <laughs> as a child. So I don't view that as watching a horror movie. Cause that was, a, that was a, when you, you were the age to have imaginary friends. Yeah. That was my imaginary friend. I love critters. I love all those creepy crawly, like weird monster movies from you like creatures i like creatures Mm -hmm. a lot and i watch those at a very very young age (laughs) again latchkey kids not a lot of supervision so i think yeah i had the kind of opposite approach that you did to the the horror shelf on the 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 horror aisle at the video store which was what can i get away with yeah i think the one though that kind of affected me the most Mm -hmm. and it wasn't one that i saw that's the cover of but it was one where i kind of would pop in and my parents would be watching was the faces of death series. All right. All right. You are aware of what those are. Yes. I have never seen one all the way through, but I have seen a lot of segments of them. Yes. So just for those who may not be aware faces of death, it was a 1978 Mondo horror film that's presented in a documentary style. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I, I would venture to say one of the first, kind of mockumentary type things in, in the horror genre. It's also anyway. a lot of found footage too, because they, they pretend like this footage is real and that they've and discovered some of it. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's some stage stuff and, and it's like a mixture of scripted and staged elements. And like a lot of the, the real stuff is some of the most gruesome footage that's in mm-hmm. them as well. And like that was the original one. And then I think there ended up being like seven or eight of there them. There were a lot of them throughout the eighties. And they kind of started leaning more and more to being as shocking as possible. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that for me growing up. Um, Which is disturbing. I think anything that pretends to be real that way has has the potential to really affect viewers who are not able to tell the difference between fiction and reality. Which are kids. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think... Because, you know, I, I love the Saw franchise, but mm-hmm. I like the Saw franchise because of the world building in it, which is a weird thing to say. It's a really weird thing it's to say. It's a really weird thing to say. But I think the reason why I look kind of beyond the torture porn element of it mm-hmm. is because I watched a lot of it. Like I was exposed to a lot of this growing up. So I joke about how I'm desensitized to a lot of horror stuff, but mm-hmm. I am truly desensitized to a lot of the more gruesome things that you see in horror. And I did in looking at the faces of death information 
in May 2021, it was reported that Legendary Entertainment had purchased the rights and that a remake is in development. Oh, no. no. Oh, no, no. indeed. <laughs> I feel like now you just have YouTube and all that stuff's on YouTube anyway. People show all the gruesome stuff on there. Yeah. Like, what do you even do in this day and age with that? Like, we've all seen videos of, like... Mm-hmm animals eating people and beheadings and all of that. It's, like, it's all already out there. So I, who knows what the news do. is like, we've, yeah, we've got the news. They show these things in the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's a part of it is like kind of like growing up with, and there is a thing of like a lot of stuff that was meant to be scary, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of stuff for kids too is the media that wasn't meant to be scary and that kind of scared us and how that has kind of shaped us as adults too. Mm, you have some examples? Yes, I absolutely have some examples <laughs> for you. So one of the things as a kid that like really affected me was Disney's Pinocchio. Like the animated Pinocchio? The animated Pinocchio from 1940. Is it the, 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 donkey the donkey part? It's the donkey part. It's the donkey part. <laughs> so in, if you haven't seen the 1940 Disney uh, film Pinocchio, which I feel like a lot of people know about it, but I don't know. If everybody's seen it. Yeah, yeah I don't know how many, especially if you're younger, if you've actually been exposed to it, to know about it. But there is this really horrific scene where they go to Pinocchio's like, I'm going to go to Pleasure Island. I'm going to smoke cigars and drink booze and have a good time with all these boys. These like, quote unquote, like, bad boy. I'm going to be a bad boy on this like island of sort of like almost like lost boys is kind of what they were. I'm going to go do that and have a great time. But because they did all these things and they were bad. And again, this is the sort of original in the, like the fantasy book that came out, they turn into donkeys and the, again, this goes back to body horror again, I think too, is the transformation sequence of them turning in these, these crying boys, these children into donkeys is horrific to me because there's this whole like transformation of like they're crying and begging for their mom and like they just want to go home and as they as they start to go home like as they start to say this their voice becomes braying like a oh god it's like (laughs) (laughs) i was very very creeped out by that as a child which is funny for something that like Everyone knows it because it's when you wish upon a star. Everyone forgets there's this horrifying scene where small children turn into donkeys. And the dark ride at Disneyland has that sequence in it. Oh, no. And I was not prepared. Like, the first time I went to Disneyland, which was, like, a couple years ago, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ride all these classic dark rides. And I get on the Pinocchio ride, and I'm like, oh, God. Because it goes through that scene. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. And it's all, like, black light. The ride is, like, like all this, like, black light. And it's, like, black light 2D sets with some, like, figures. And that just makes it creepier all around. Yeah. That but ride it, is creepy. But I knew exactly what you were talking about when you said Pinocchio. I'm like, yeah. it's the donkey it's, part. It's the donkey part. It's definitely a donkey part. And that, again, comes from, like, the idea of, a like, being forced into transformation mm-hmm. and being pulled away from, like, your family because you did something bad. And I think that that's a fear that, like, a lot of kids have, whether it's rational or not, that you have that. You have that idea of, like, there's a story in our beloved scary stories to tell in the dark about the... Uh, what is it? The the other mother. What is the name of that story? Where it's the two kids that are bad and refuse to be good. And it's like, if you don't if you don't act if you don't behave, then I'm going to have to send you off to. Well, yeah. if you if you don't behave, I'm going to leave and send the mother with a with the wooden tail that mm-hmm. like like, and you're just like wait 
what? And in the end, like their the two daughters are like mean and they're mean to the baby and like they're mean to their mother and their mother just leaves them with some sort of hideous monster, like other mother. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. And you see that in like Coraline too, I think for mm-hmm. an older, newer film has that idea of like, oh, you want a different family. You want something different. You're not happy with what you've got. Well, what could be the worst that happens? That stuff kind of like always kind of undid me as a child. Moral stuff. Yeah. Moral stuff <laughs> was... uh was was hardcore it's hardcore for me so like the, that, that kind of media was not intended to be terrifying mm-hmm. but turns out to be scary and you also have like um as a child I was very afraid of doctors I did not like to go to the doctor at some point they tried I remember very I remember this moment because my mom never let me forget it after it happened is that I needed like a shot I think it was like a tetanus shot or something because I had cut myself, you know, cut yourself open somehow as a small child. So you go to the doctor, you don't need stitches, but you definitely need a tennis shot. Yeah. And so well, you don't, get, you don't want to get locked jaw. I bit the nurse <laughs> and they, they had to hold me down so they could give me this shot. And my mom was like, I didn't know whether I was mortified or like impressed, impressed. Like, it, you know, it's like those things were like, wow. But yeah. Uh, and I think, and I know, I know exactly where this fear of doctors comes from. E.T., man, E.T. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's that scene in the 1982 classic, E.T., which is all great and wholesome where the like Elliot and E.T. are dying and they put them in these like... Like that bubble thing. They put them in the plastic rooms and are like, and all the men in white, like their CDC outfits come in and it is horrific. Yeah. Absolutely horrific. I mean, I... I think I still have a little bit of what they call white coat syndrome Mm -hmm. where like I I know for a fact that anytime I go to the doctor and like I have a great relationship with my my primary care physician, but anytime I step into that building, my blood pressure shoots up at least a couple of points. I think a lot of people do. I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I can go in and do things. I've had blood drawn a ton of times. It, It doesn't affect me anymore. But as a child, I was like, they are going to put me in a plastic room. <laughs> and and I know that like now you you understand like these rooms are like kind of like a germ-free zone mm-hmm. that they keep you like in a, you know, hermetically sealed space so it helps your immune system. But when you're a child, none of this is explained to you. It's it's the 80s, things are scary anyway. Yeah, well, and it's also like it's presented in a very like kind of terrifying way. Yeah. So it's just going to instill that in you. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Any, any other examples? Um, I mean, like, there's plenty of examples, but why don't you tell me about some of your, your fears? Oh, okay. okay. We're, going, we're going back to we're you. We're going back to you. Okay. I um, said two. It's your turn. Well, I think another thing that is a common fear that was one that I had as a child was being scared of something being underneath the bed. Uh, yes. And this is something I can't have as an adult because I, I move around a lot in my sleep. I'm mm-hmm. like a wild animal. But as a kid, I wanted my sheets tucked tight <laughs> and I wanted my bed pushed against the wall because God help me if a foot or a hand came off of the bed at all. That was just <laughs> tempting fate. That was just throwing it out there for a monster to grab. Well, the bed is safe. Like they, they always kind of like teach you that this is, this is where you're safe. This is where you sleep. This is like your home base or mm-hmm. whatever it is. So when anything threatens that, it brings a whole new level of terror to us. I mean, the, the big thing that people try to ascribe to it mm-hmm. as having that fear is that it's a healthy way for children to express 
um, their dawning awareness that the world can be a dangerous place mm-hmm. is to just kind of put that into a fear of, of the dark or something being in your closet or under the bed, which that's a good blanket thing. I think that that's, that's a lot of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think it goes even further. There's, let me see, it's Professor Gray. Because one of the things I'd read before is that it might have um, an evolutionary anchor mm-hmm. to it. And it, he says that it comes from our hunter-gatherer days where ch- children would fear bedtime because of the threats of wild animals. I think, okay, because like a lot of big big predators hunt at night and yeah. in the dark. And when your defenses are down. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, of course, we've still got that instilled in us. It's been passed down to us genetically and we don't have an outlet for that. Like there's no reason to have it. So that's how we kind of created our modern boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And also there's a lot of it um, that you can see that kind of attributes it to the fact that going back to like our hunter gatherer days that we slept on the ground and that to sleep in something that has kind of like this nebulous negative space underneath it, you kind of have a fear of that too. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see that fear justified in a lot of ways where you have even today in some places, like I know the Southwest has a problem that like if you camp outside, you may find scorpions or snakes in your sleeping bag Mm -hmm. or your shoes and a lot of other countries where it's common to come home and be like, what, there might be something. Australia. Just say say Australia. Australia. I'm really thinking Australia. (laughs) Like it's true. Um, Because everything in Australia wants to kill you. So it might try to kill you in the middle of the night. Even the kangaroos want to kill you. It's fine. (laughs) Those kangaroos are jacked. They're jacked. But that's the thing, though, is that, yeah, things want to kill you everywhere. So if you're not prepared for them and that space is a dangerous thing to have, even though it protects you from like parasites and stuff. Yeah. And another uh, child psychologist, Dr. Laura Kaufman, attributes it to just not being able to see well and just kind of the response that triggers triggers and it's like limbic and nervous system wise. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. Like if you can't make sense of something, it, it triggers that fear response in you. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense a lot for that. And like, I think your research too said that like the the boogeymen were kind of cultural too, that like most societies have a form of boogeyman. Yes. Yes. Tell me more. Okay. So in many Latin countries, they have what's called the sack man. Mm -hmm. And um, he takes misbehaving children away in a sack, which is interesting because as we've talked about before, like um, in our Christmas episode Mm -hmm. about like Krampus and other things, there are so many myths about taking children away in sacks. There's a, there's a myth that I I had a a kid's book um, when I was a kid and it was from um, Pacific Northwestern indigenous peoples. Like it was one of, it had a bunch of like their stories and one of them was about a giant woman with a sack that would put kids in the sack to eat them as well. And like that short story always like stuck with me. So that is kind of a weird cross-cultural thing that you see from so many different areas. But yeah, she would like, she would pick up kids and I don't know, I'm going to have to look this story up so I can give you a play-by-play of like what it actually was. But I had a picture book and it was beautifully drawn and just fantastic. But yeah, there's, there's a, a Pacific Northwestern creature or woman. She was that a giant you woman that carries you children away in a sack. Fascinating. Yeah. France has, and I'm going to probably butcher this. I took five years of French, so I apologize that this is going to be terrible. Le croquet mitien, which okay. is the hand cruncher. Delightful. And just going to leave it at that. Use your imagination. Yeah. Um, and then Belgian has um, Ode Rouge Odin, which translates to old red eyes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of cultures have specific boogeymen. And I think that, you know, kind of here in the United States where we're a melting pot of lots of different things. Yeah, there's 
There's all kinds of boogeymen. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of boogeymen, and there's also even urban legends about mm-hmm. people hiding under your bed. Or for me personally, it was things under the car, uh, which okay. affected me as a child, especially at night. Like yeah. even if we were getting out of a car to go, like or getting into a car or something. Like I, as a kid, I was very concerned about that small space in between the car and getting into it. Well. You know, if you were in the mall parking lot, that's how people <laughs> cut your Achilles tendon. There you go. Urban legends right there. Uh, yeah, I got those uh, chain mails. <laughs> I remember the days when they spread those around. Before before you could, wa- you could read those things on Tumblr and Facebook and Twitter, they were chain mails and they went around and they were the same text almost about how people were going to abduct you in your car by cutting your Achilles tendon. I mean, but I, if I... If I remember correctly, it was something that was even reported on the local news. Oh, it, absolutely. <laughs> they they reported it and there was never any names given. Mm-hmm. That's how you could kind of tell with these things. There were, there were never names given or there was a first name and random place, but no actual like location, no reporting on the scene. But these things were taken very seriously. It was like we're having a outbreak of people doing X thing, either abducting women by like cutting their Achilles tendon by hiding under their cars or any sort of things to get people a lot of sex trafficking. There was a whole lot of like the, this is how this, this is how you get disappeared. This is how you get disappeared. And none of them ever had actual like people involved, like names of people or like stories that were verifiable. Yeah. It followed the classic F O A F model of the Mm -hmm. friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. A woman in South Beach today, like, and it's Opa who, like, where was she? Like, do we know her? Like, what's her name? Yeah. It is interesting because I think I'm thinking about like, you know, whenever we were children and kind of when we were exposed to this myth, it was presented to us that it was the gang members. Oh, yeah. Because that was what we were led to be scared of. They had, those gang members had so much time (laughs) to do, hide under random people's cars, I guess. Well, they're also going to flash their, you know, they're going to be driving around without their headlights on. Yeah, that (laughs) was the thing. Don't flash them. Don't don't flash headlights if you see a car without headlights. Yeah, there was a lot of that, like, very, very silliness. Or, like, you can't wear a red or a blue shirt in certain areas. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that, like, it's fine. But, you know. So, going back to, like, you being terrified of things being underneath the car. (laughs) Cars were, yeah. Do you think that that fear kind of comes from some of those stories that were big around, like, like teenage car culture, like, back in, like, the 50s and everything? Probably part of it, but I do think a big part of it comes from, again, I was a latchkey kid. I was allowed to watch things at way too young of an age. I was allowed to watch Pet Cemetery in middle school. (gasps) The original one Mm -hmm. from the 80s, which is, I love, I love the new one, but I also really love the old one too. And there is a scene that everyone knows where one character is going down the stairs and something bad happens to them. Mm-hmm. And it's really bad. And it's it's pretty graphic too. In terms of like quick graphic violence. And then something more terrible happens to this character. And that probably embedded it in my head in a very visceral way. Because I have, um, when I was a child especially, seeing some of these things was a very like, again, a very visceral experience that that I could recontextualize and put in other moments. Like if I get into the car right now, someone's going to like try to cut me or getting out of bed. There's someone under my bed with a knife. And it was very specific. And I, I think a lot of it came from, 
for me watching pet cemetery mm-hmm. but i think for a lot of people a lot of that is just like car culture was so new and like especially the 50s cuz it was more widespread and cars were well more reliable they could they could go further and we started to see some of like highways and you know we were able to move to different areas faster like move around and travel yeah. so i do think a lot of some of our fears surrounding that come from, i think you're right yeah because i mean like a lot of it comes from also like that that gave them teenagers and children a way to get out of the house and go spend time with themselves like you know go necking at a, yeah. a makeout point yeah and, you know sex is terrible and bad and it's going to get you killed it's gonna get you killed <laughs> But yeah, for sure. I think, I think probably some of those fears come from that too. But as an adult, I'm like, it. I don't even think about it anymore of like someone being under my car. But also... Whenever we live in a world where it is probably much more of a chance of something, you getting abducted or something you are not scared of. Not scared of it. So here's a true story for you. Speaking of things under cars. Um, in an, one of the older houses I lived in, I had some roommates and I used to work late at night because I worked retail. So when I worked retail, I would come home really late and I was really tired. And so I'd get into the driveway and one night I remember pulling into the driveway and as I pulled in with my lights on, there was a raccoon and like raccoons are not scary, Mm -hmm. but raccoons also have rabies. Yeah. So, and I am irrationally afraid of getting rabies. Which is it is, because of Cujo? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I watched a lot of Stephen tying King movies. Back tying else. back to Stephen King. Like you can tie you can probably tie a lot of my childhood fears back to Stephen <laughs> King and being able to read and or watch them at too young. But like so but I knew that raccoons carried rabies and I'd had some weird experiences with raccoons before. But so I when I pulled in I lost sight of it. And our front porch wasn't on. So I couldn't see where it was. Oh, there was no light. There was no light. And even when I turned my lights on, I couldn't see it. So I'm texting my roommate being like, can you just please come and turn the the porch light on? on. I don't get it. So I sat in my car for like 20 minutes being like, is it still there? Because I need you to understand a thing. If you don't have urban raccoons and they're not even like urban raccoons, but, but if you live on that weird fringe of like the suburbs and like rural society, like Raccoons are fearless. Oh yeah, it's the Wild West. They are not going to move for you. And they're going to get mad about it too. I have hit a raccoon with, or the raccoon tore a hole in my trash. And I was trying to get my this raccoon from pulling, another story, pulling the trash out with its grubby little fingers and opened a door. First I banged on the door to try to get it to leave. And it stared at me and kept wrestling through the trash. And then I like turn the light on and off, try to get it. No, I opened the door with the broom it looked at me like it was going to fight me. I hit it with the, like, sh- you know how you like kind of bump something with the broom? Like oh, I didn't yeah. hit it hard enough, but like, like I was like hey, shooing it hey, away. Yeah, away. Hey, yeah. Hey, go away. It chittered at me angrily, grabbed two handfuls of trash and that fat bastard waddled off like in a huff, like I had bothered him. Oh, how dare I keep him from like, he'd ripped like all these holes in my trash bags. Like it was, Oh, it was, it was pretty terrible. So like, I knew that the raccoons in this area were fearless and I didn't want to come up with that guy again because I didn't want to fight him again. And so I just sat out there, waited because you couldn't see between him and the car and the house. Anything could be there. Six raccoons could be there and they could all have rabies. (laughs) Tangent. um, (laughs) Sorry. Isn't it fascinating that raccoons, you know, their hands, creepy little hands, they have thumbs, Yeah, you know, they have, um, and they also have the um, vocal cords that could possibly mimic speech. No. 
So I, like I don't to, like this. I like to think about like it, back whenever we decided to d- domesticate cats and dogs, like if we had decided to do that with raccoons instead, at this point, evolutionarily, they would probably be able to talk somewhat. That's horrifying. Uh, see, I find that I find no. the idea of a pet Mm-mm. raccoon to be the most delightful thing. Ever. So, OK, let me ruin that for you. <laughs> Here's another creepy story about raccoons. I don't know how we got on creepy stories about raccoons, but here we go. Raccoons are scavengers, yes. right? And. I don't, I don't think I've talked about this before either, but I spent a lot of time academically looking at dead things, academically studying dead things. Raccoons are scavengers. Do you know what raccoons scavenge? Dead things. Dead things, including dead humans. So did you know there are academic facilities to study decomposition? Oh, yeah. Yes. And at one such facility... They were doing, they didn't understand certain scavenging patterns because it was very weird and it seemed like there were like small holes on the um, body and kind of weird wilted areas. So they set up cameras to see. And those cameras revealed that raccoons will chew small holes into you after you die and stick those grubby little fingers inside of you and pull out chunks of you to eat. Human pinata. Human pinata and i've seen it it is horrifying on a level of like this is real this is like oh oh no it's it's creepier than anything you'd any any monster eating something in a horror movie cannot cannot even like come close to watching a a raccoon stick its little grubby terrible hands inside of things to eat it is that TMI? I don't no, know. No, I still think they're adorable. I kind of like that. Like, I, I know you That's do. resourceful. That's what that is. They're terrible and they have diseases. But they wash their food. That's cute. They've got little masks. Little trash pandas. <laughs> they're little trash pandas, but they're little trash pandas with rabies. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> they will eat you if you die. <laughs> I mean, cats will do, but still. Yeah. Okay. Like that's the thing. If you die and you have a cat, <laughs> it's. I think. What is it like? They'll wait two days before mm-hmm. they start eating you. Where if, whereas if you have a dog, a dog will wait at least like I think a, a week. Yeah. Yeah. And they're gonna eat those soft bits first. Oh yeah. Like your lips mm-hmm. and your eyelids and your nose. There's a there's a great book about that by Caitlin Darty. It's like, will my cat eat my eyeballs and other <laughs> things? She's a she's a mortician, yeah. so she answers. She has a YouTube channel too. But yeah, if you've ever wanted to know some of those things, it's a really great book, and I I highly recommend it if you just kind of have morbid curiosity for these sort of things. Should I disclose another thing I was scared of? Yeah, I went on a big, long tangent about raccoons. Apparently, I'm afraid of raccoons and never realized it, but here we go. Uh, Discovery. (laughs) I think the last one that I wanted to kind of draw attention to, and the reason why I saved this one for last is this is something that I still deal with, not particularly from like a a childhood fear Mm -hmm. perspective, but it's something as an adult I still deal with, and that's... um, the shadow man or the tall man, as some people call him. Do you do you know what I'm referring to? So I do not think that I do. Okay. This is revolving around like night terrors, sleep paralysis. Okay. Like your sleep, you, you know, you talk, you hear people talk about their sleep paralysis demon. Mm-hmm. That's the tall man. I have okay. So you have sleep paralysis. Yes. Okay. I do not experience this, so I have never really been accustomed to this. Well, just for those who may not know it, like sleep paralysis, it's a state during waking up or falling asleep in which a person is aware but unable to move or or speak. Mm -hmm. So just 
thinking about that in and of itself, like being aware of something because there's a whole lot of fears about like being in surgery and being anesthetized enough to where you can't move or speak, but you're aware of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So just think about that, like happening every night when you're asleep. Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. And the fascinating thing about it is like during an episode of sleep paralysis that you may experience hallucinations and it can be all kinds. It could be auditory. It can be visual. Uh, I've had it happen where I've felt pressures on my body. Like it'll feel like something is grabbing me. Oh no. And of course this results in fear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Understandably so. The thing about the tall man though, Uh is there's a really good uh, documentary that came out in 2015 called The Nightmare. I've heard of that, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I believe it's on Shudder for Mm -hmm. those who may have that service or AMC Plus, which does include Shudder. This isn't a plug for AMC Plus or it is a plug for Shudder. Everybody should have a Shudder subscription. But the great thing about it is they talk to a lot of people about sleep paralysis as as they go into the science about it. And the tall man is something that is pretty consistent among a lot of people who have sleep paralysis and myself included, we all describe him looking the same way. So how do you describe him looking? Like he's a very tall. Uh, Obviously tall. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's in the (laughs) description, but uh, wearing dark clothes or like a dark coat and he has a hat. Everyone always says that he has a hat. Is it a top hat? No, it's not like a Babadook situation. No, I know it's not a Babadook situation. I mean, <laughs> maybe it is a Babadook situation. I like the I like the term. Is this a Babadook situation? <laughs> maybe you're all just battling your depression at the same time. I don't know, but like, what kind of hat is it? It's um, hats are very important. Like a trilby, maybe is that the type of hat I'm thinking about? Like not um not a fedora no but a trilby is kind of similar to a fedora yeah right? okay I would I think like a trilby hat oh yeah. I would be scared of that too if some man showed up in my bedroom wearing a trilby yeah. sounds terrible some sort of dark tall scary Jason Mraz looking motherfucker <laughs> no thank you <laughs> uh, so it, it's a condition that like can happen like in perfectly healthy people like mm-hmm. myself included so it can be triggered by like narcolepsy but it also can be genetic as well. So it's something you can inherit from your parents, which is fascinating to think about, but it can also be triggered by like sleep deprivation, um, abnormal sleep cycles or psychological stress, which Mm -hmm. I'm like, check, check, (laughs) check. (laughs) But I think that the the reason I actually have it is I had terrible nightmares as a kid. I've talked Mm -hmm. about that before. And when I was reading about this as a child in the wonderful library where I spent a lot of my time, I came across the concept of lucid dreaming, Mm -hmm. which is being able to actively know you're dreaming and, and like being able to change things. Apparently it can like lucid dreaming can make you more susceptible to sleep paralysis. I did not know that either. I, I've heard of sleep paralysis and I understand it as like an academic concept, but having never really experienced it, it's, it's a really fascinating thing. And I wonder too, like the way that people describe sleep paralysis and when they, when they do kind of have encounters with it, do you, do you think that that could possibly be the basis for a lot of perhaps supernatural encounters people experience? Yes. Yes. It's believed to play a role in the creation of stories about like alien abduction Mm -hmm. and other paranormal things about between eight and 50% of people will experience sleep paralysis at some point in their life. And about five, about 5% of people have regular episodes of it happening. Mm -hmm. So it is a pretty common occurrence. 
there is a lot of cultural significance around sleep paralysis, though. Okay. So I'm sure, like, you are a big folklore fan, Mm -hmm. the Night Hag. Yes. All right. What do you know of the Night Hag? Uh, what do you know of the night? <laughs> I feel like this is like a some sort of like um, test or something. But that is the creature that sits on your chest, right? Yes. Like she yeah. sits on your chest. She has a heavy weight on your chest and kind of leers at you in a lot of ways and can like steal your like essence or like, right, your... Yeah, it's a malevolent creature which immobilizes you standing on your chest. It's a kind of like a very similar. And I think I wasn't able to find anything about this, but mm-hmm. I wonder if this is kind of tied into the whole like cat stilling your breath, like being on your chest. Yeah, type of thing. or like an incubus too, like a sleep demon in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. In Egypt, sleep paralysis was considered to be um, an attack by, by a jinn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And Cambodians, what they call it is the ghost that pushes you down. And it's believed to be like deceased relatives. Oh, wow. Who are trying to. Yeah. I, I like the name of that. The ghost that pushes the you down. That pushes That's you really down. like, yeah. It's a good descriptor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like Americans have just given their own kind of folklore idea to it, which is a supernatural entity at night, which may actually kind of give us the basis for some experiences that people have with the paranormal and the supernatural and aliens, because a lot of people that describe aliens abductions describe lying in bed being unable to move yeah which is interesting and and this is something like i want to point out like i i don't want to come across as someone who's discounting a person's personal experience because it's from all accounts when you experience sleep paralysis you are experiencing these emotions these sensations you are seeing things and you are apparently feeling things like you're having a physical sensation in some form or fashion so it is a real thing that happens to you. It, it just, maybe other people wouldn't be able to see it happening. Yeah. And the thing is you have to explore things from every, every possible point of view. And you would be remiss if you didn't take it into consideration. Mm -hmm. And also culturally, there are some good examples of it in kind of popular media, Mm -hmm. a Christmas carol. Like there's the whole part where uh, Scrooge talks about when he sees Jacob Marley, like you're just a bad piece of undigested meat. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, he that is kind of tying it into sleep paralysis. I think that that's what he had in mind whenever he was writing that that mm-hmm. that bit of it. And then you have J.M. Barry, okay, who is the writer of Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. He apparently had a lot of issues with sleep paralysis, and you can see that in some of the writing. Okay, yeah. You've heard the expression, like, you know, waking up, like, you look haggard, you're hag-ridden and everything. Mm-hmm. That's specifically from, like, Newfoundland. The sleep paralysis demon is referred to as the old hag. Oh, okay. And that's where it comes from. Some interesting cures for preventions of the old hag included sleeping with a Bible under your pillow. Which okay. Which is just a good thing to do. Calling the sleeper's name backwards. Okay. <laughs> which it's interesting. There's a lot of speaking backwards that's used to dispel things. And um, sleeping with a shingle or board embedded with nails strapped against the chest. And that was called a hag board. Okay. So yeah. it stop. You can't jump on you if you have a. Could you imagine sleeping with a board of nails? terrible. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was my other big thing. And I still deal with that now. But, and it does cause a moment of like terror when it's mm-hmm. happening. But I don't attach a lot of the boogeyman significance to it that I did whenever I was a kid. You've gone in like a, a very personal level for this like episode. And I did the complete opposite where I was like, let's talk about spooky media that like scared us when we were kids. I think I misunderstood the assignment. I mean, I think that you just, you, you took it in your own direction. <laughs> As often I do. <laughs> 
so you asked the internet. Yeah, I went to the internet, but I didn't ask them about this sort of thing. I specifically asked them about media that scared them because I thought that's what we were going to talk about. Well, no, we, I mean, it's part sure, of it. Sure, sure. Like, I'll, I'll read some of the answers that I got from some of our folks online. And this is things that a lot of these things of what I kind of was like the direction that I went to is that a lot of things kind of like hit us weirdly when we were kids and they may not have been intended to be actually terrifying, but let's face it. A lot of kids media in the eighties and the nineties was pretty scary overall. A lot of the stuff that we remember. And I think that's really telling that a lot of these things uh, that people remember are the, the scary sequences that stuck with us. So here's what I have. I'm going to read some of these from, from people online. Okay. So the first answer I got was like, um, my question was, of course, like, what media scared you as a kid, whether it was intended to be scary or not? I got the first answer I got immediately was Rockadoodle. <laughs> and this is interesting because a lot of Don Bluth work, Don Bluth's work comes up over and over again. Like the animated um, Secret of Nim. The Secret of Nim. Yeah. yeah. The, but the, the director, Don, Don Bluth, made phenomenal kids media in the late 80s and early 90s. And if you are interested in the history of animation, if you're interested in animation at all, going through like his catalog is really, really fascinating. So Rockadoodle is the first thing. And I think in that one, it ties back to our fear of the dark Mm -hmm. because the whole film premise is based on a rooster that won't crow anymore. And because he won't crow, the sun won't come up. And there's a really creepy sequence where a bunch of owls are kind of singing a song while they're hunting some like baby bunnies. (laughs) Oh no. That's that is a sequence in the film. But that comes up. Also the secret of Nim comes mm-hmm. up. And I think the secret of and Nim it's the owl part in that one too. So the owl part didn't bother me in that one. It was the scene at the end when the tractor is coming, because it's a group of mice that live in a cinder block. They have a house and a cinder block in a field. And it is a they're trying to save their home. But the tractor is coming to plow the to field. plow the field, mm-hmm. but their house is sinking. In, into the mud into the yeah. mud while it's happening so that always terrified me as a kid because they again they were like children the children characters are stuck in the house and can't leave and they're trying to like save basically save themselves while their house is sinking under the mud and it's in a Don Bluth movie another one is that um as one of my friends says four-year-old me was traumatized by the hell sequence and all dogs go to heaven Oh, also yeah. a Don mm-hmm. Bluth film because um, the dog goes to hell. Like this is his dream sequence of hell. And it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying. horrific too. Yeah, for sure. We have Gollum from the animated Hobbit movie from the seventies, which was watched on repeat at my house. Cause like, I love that film. The Goonies meeting the Fratellis. Cause there's that sequence where they put chunks hand in the blender. Yeah. Yeah. That was always like very creepy. Cause they were very creepy. Let's see. There is uh, the scene in Beetlejuice where the snake becomes the railing. Oh, yeah. That got a lot of people. The cartoon house from the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was one that got people. There's an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where there's a human embodiment of a computer virus. So the the kids' classic Are You Afraid of the Dark show on Nickelodeon. Yeah, Midnight Society. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see. There's a bunch of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because that was that was like the 90s kids. That was like our our version of like creepy stuff. The Unsolved Mysteries theme song used to give me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, 
Absolutely. I think I've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Just the music itself and Robert Stack's voice. Yeah. That show had a lot of very creepy things in it, Mm -hmm. I think, for kids and age. And now I feel like I feel like the new episodes are very fascinating, but not as creepy. The Mm -hmm. creep factor is there in them. The last unicorn, the skeleton that's on top of the clock when he goes all red eyed and like angry about Mm -hmm. things. That was pretty creepy. The, The Minotaur from Time Bandits. We got that's that one was a wild ride of like the did you ever see Time Bandits? No, I've never okay. seen it before. It's an eighties, eighties yeah. classic movie, Time Bandits. There's a Minotaur in it and it's like real creepy. That's a cult classic if you want to ever watch a weird sci fi fantasy. It's Terry movie. Gilliam, right? Yeah, it's I mean, Terry. It's, okay, it's gonna be it's weird. It's 80s yeah. Terry Gilliam, yeah. <laughs> Here's one that I actually thought was really good. And this is the quote like when I saw the Lion King in theaters, the goose stepping hyenas during Be Prepared terrified me. But it was weird and existential because 10-ish years old, I wouldn't have been able to tell you why. It's probably my first, quote, adult fear I had growing up. Because you you don't know why those hyenas goose-stepping is scary. But then you start, oh man, those goose-stepping hyenas were meant to symbolize. like They were meant to not symbolize, perhaps, but like draw comparisons to Nazis like straight up yeah (laughs) it was very fascist and you didn't know what fascism is was it 10 especially look there may be 10 year olds now that know what fascism is because we have the internet but in the 90s none of us knew yeah um and then the classic the flying monkeys from the wizard of oz were scary that's like generational terror like lots of generational kids like have been terrified by those flying monkeys little shop of horrors uh, was a big fear for a lot of people. Okay. But do you know what sequence it was? The dentist? Yes. Yep. It's always the dentist. And according it's to the shot from inside the mouth. And in this person, it's like, um, for real, Little Shop of Horrors is probably why I'd pay a shit ton of money for dental treatment as an adult. Because you didn't go to the dentist. You didn't go to the dentist when you were a kid. <laughs> and it's that shot where you have the inside of the mouth and there's Steve Martin singing his song about how he is an actual sadist. Son, be a dentist. Yeah. That one. I love that song. But yeah, let's see. Then there is, of course, the scenes in Watership Down. Watership Down is a, a film is terrifying, like for small children. I love Watership Down. It's one of my favorite books. I love the film. I love the TV series. But there is the scene where Bigwig gets caught in a snare. Like the one of the rabbits get caught in a yeah. snare. And it's there's foam and there's blood. And it's it's really horrifying experience for a small child. And then the the ending with general wound war. Have you seen Watership Down at no. all? Okay, okay. I'm not giving you spoilers for yeah, it, but I like it, it was always one of those things that, as like a kid, I wasn't exposed to it, and as an adult, I was like, I don't know if this is the right time for me to. I really think that you would enjoy it. It yeah. is. A, it's it's not a horror film, but right. the the original the original has a lot of like horrific elements in it, even though it's intended for children. But I would say it's it's. It's a gentler film than The Plague Dogs, which is another one by the same author. It's an also another animated mm-hmm. film, and that's about a bunch of dogs that escape uh, being animal testing lab, which is... Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that one's really heartbreaking. And then let's see. Okay. <laughs> Here, here's a great one from somebody that I, I love this, and like because this is one of my favorite movies, and I love hearing how it's terrified someone as a kid. I also used to go to the bowling alley with my dad as a little kid, under 10 years old. He was in a league, so I was largely left to my own devices for a few hours. I have the very distinct memory of sitting at the bar to get a soda, and what I later learned was Critters 2 was on the TV, right at the Critter Ball scene. 
as it rolled over some guy and left him skeletal and bloody. I walked away and never said anything to anyone about it, but I was not happy. And like, if you remember that scene, there's like the giant critter ball and it literally just rolls over somebody and they're just like right. your corpse there. Yeah. At 10, I feel like that would be a little like distressing, but the, critters two has the critter ball. And that's one of the, the best things I've ever seen in a, a creature feature I, ever. Cause love it's, it's so you absurd. Love I love it. Well, have you seen them? No, we're doing a critters marathon. You pick the date. We're going to watch all four of them. <laughs> So yeah, so that was some of the stuff that like the internet gave me for things that they had. We also have, of course, like Large Marge has always been something from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh yeah, has always, and I think that's because it's the the change between here's this real life and then like clay. Yeah, like, yeah. well, so claymation is scary. Claymation is scary, and claymation also is one of the reasons that I think that like I have had like one of my. Do you remember when you had your first brush with nihilism and existential dread? I feel like that's as a been person, my life. right? <laughs> but like, can you pinpoint a moment when it happened for you? I can't. No. Okay, so I can pinpoint the moment. Can pinpoint it when I was a kid. I had the dubious honor of being in one of those gifted programs, which, as we all know, is not really an honor. Let's be honest. Like it, sure. Uh, but part of it is they pulled us out of regular class, like once every, once a week or so to do some sort of activity. Mm-hmm. And the teacher we had at the time, bless her, she tried, but she did not know how to relate to children at all. I don't know why she was a teacher. She just <laughs> didn't know what to do with us. So at some point, and I think I was probably in like the third or fourth grade, we watched a claymation film from the eighties called the adventures of Mark Twain. Oh, I'm very familiar. Okay. Yeah. So in the adventures of Mark Twain, it's the premise is really weird too. I have to set this up if you haven't seen it. Mark Twain is on a starship to follow Haley's comet because he he wants for reasons that become apparent during the show, he's on a starship. And character well, kids that get sucked up into the starship with him are Tom Sawyer, Becky, and Huck Finn. Somehow get sucked up into the starship with him. And they're treated as real people, not his creations. Right. So these kids are trying to figure out what's going on in the starship while a dark version of Mark Twain is wandering around with the other version of Mark Twain. But then they open a doorway and meet a character who has a, a, a like a marquee mask as a face who introduces themselves as Satan. They're an angel named Satan, but not that Satan. And Satan of the claymation horrifying face tells these kids, and they're all claymationish went out, tells these kids the story of a, Mark Twain's darkest story, which is called The Mysterious Stranger, which if you've never read is just a trip because he actually never published it. It was one of his last works at the end of his life. And for a beloved like author who we know now has written all these things that kids have read for generations, it is some dark existential shit because it's this idea of like making a deal to become like a God. And then every choice that you make makes things worse. So there's that idea. And like that idea has been parodied through the ages since then, but knowing that it came from Mark Twain and like watching the absolute nihilism of the story and these kids confront, well, none of it meant anything because that's what, the end of the story kind of comes out and seeing Satan's face transform like over and over as from being like angry to be this big, like angry 
deity kind of angry angel kind of character to like the calm way that he talks to them in this very monotone voice was really that first spark in me of being like, Oh God, we're all just tiny specks following a comet around. (laughs) That sequence for those who may want to watch that, who are not aware of it, Mm -hmm. you can find that sequence by itself on YouTube. You can, I highly recommend it if you're interested in the way that like I've described it. Cause I don't want to like tell you the whole story cause that kind of defeats the purpose. But yeah, that one I think was my first brush with this idea of like, nothing matters as a philosophy. Yeah. And it's, um, it's just kind of atmospheric in a way. Like it's, mm-hmm. and it is, it's eighties claymation yeah. animation. So keep that in mind. And I think even at the time when I watched it, cause I did not watch it in the eighties, the fact that it felt that rough, mm-hmm. like purposefully rough made it even creepier. And I don't think that was the intention. It was no claymation Christmas, that's for sure. It was no claymation Christmas. Which Rudolph I watch was every not year. There. Rudolph was not there, but Satan the angel was. <laughs> so I think in you know what you've talked about, kind of more media driven, mm-hmm. and, and you know something I, some, the things I've talked about, which were more like personal experience driven. I think it's kind of informed a lot of who we are and like our relationship to horror mm-hmm. as it is now. Yeah, because I think the things that I was scared of as a kid are things that I kind of celebrate today. And that's why I love horror so much is because it kind of proves that I'm, I'm a tough boy now. <laughs> really? Is that how you kind of view it in a way? As I, as I sit here with my arms. You across. did just cross your arms <laughs> and you're a tough boy now. I don't know. Like, I think these things, the darker side of human nature has always kind of interested me in a way of like, why? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of whys that go into it. And I think horror as a genre explains some of those whys. Why do people do the things they do? It gives reason to yes. things that seem unreasonable. Mm-hmm. It's a way to kind of deal with things in a more abstract manner instead yeah. of them being super concrete and very, very real. And I think it's a good release valve for us, like to release that. Ten- that's I think I think that horror movies in themselves are a good way to kind of yeah. relieve some of the pressure from the horrors of the real world. Because, well, yeah, <laughs> because in the real world, human beings hurt each other and bad things happen to people and it's not deserved. There's no reason for it. There's no one. People aren't doing this because of some um, horrible accident that happened 10 years ago. You know, they're not out to get you for this, that or the other. Sometimes people just do bad things and sometimes really horrible things happen. Sometimes really scary things happen and it, you don't have a nice wrap up at the end. And in like a lot of horror and even some of the scary media we watch as kids, it gives us a reason for it and it gives us an understanding for why these things happen. So yeah, I think it's comforting in a way. And I, I find horror very comforting and I know different people watch horror movies for different reasons. Some people really just like the gore mm-hmm. and that's completely valid. Some people, yeah. Some people really just like the monsters. Some people really just like a lot of things, but I, I think that what we like in horror can sometimes come from what scared us as kids. Too. It goes a little bit deeper. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And mm-hmm. I think if you talk to those people who say they just like the gore, well, what, what kind of gore do you like? Like, where does that come from? Would be an interesting conversation to have. Well, you had a lot of good examples from the interwebs about mm-hmm. things that scared people, but obviously we would love to hear more. Yeah. Tell tell us what your childhood fears were and if you're still afraid of those things or how they kind of shaped you and, you know, as an adult. Yeah. We would love some personal experiences to maybe recount in a future mm-hmm. episode. Cause I think this is a topic that's worth revisiting. Oh yeah, too. for sure. I know you didn't get to talk about everything that scared you as that's, a kid. That's fair. Yeah. It's fair. There's a lot of things that scared me as a kid. 
What do we have coming up next? Yeah, um, we are currently still doing research on the next big topic we're going to tackle because we really want to dive into some folklore, but we want to make sure that our facts are right. (laughs) And we've kind of been doing some stuff on some basically folklore of the British Isles, specifically a lot of things related to the Fae and um, our how our modern perception of fairies and elves and magical creatures both reflects and also has distorted the original stories that we that have been such a big part of history and i think we've got some mother day mother's day stuff in the works we too do. we mm-hmm. absolutely have that as well that will be coming out around mother's day so well, i would hope so <laughs> well I, I forgot the date of mother's day this year so i just rolled with it know, but that's fine call me out i don't care yes yeah, so we have that coming out as well but be on the lookout in the next couple of weeks. We will get some more um, episodes, a little deeper dives into some things. So it takes a little time for us to get all our research together. Yeah, we we, we want to be as thorough as possible. Mm-hmm. For well, sure. you do. I'm much more I of a Wikipedia I, scholar. <laughs> I need to know things. I like to have like, you guys don't understand, like I save you from all of the sources that I collect for all these episodes. And I'm only like, here's two that I think people might actually read. I don't give you a full list of everything, but like I was like, well, tell me about this, especially in our like, deep dives yeah well and then like my thing is i find one thing to get like super hyper focused on you really do well as always thank you for for listening we appreciate it um again rate and review us Mm -hmm. you can do that on apple podcast and spotify now it really helps us algorithmically i'm glad i can say algorithmically without tripping over that word good job Yeah, yeah yeah and take care of yourselves it's you know things are sometimes scary yeah so don't let those fears keep you down Culture Cryptids is recorded, produced, and engineered by me, JD. And me, Corey. You can find us on social media at Culture Cryptids on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Questions, comments, corrections, hate mail? Email us at culturecryptids at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.